again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. And after a few days off, we are returning here now to put a final bow on this year's Academy Awards. The 95th Oscars are in our rear view, but we are not ready to say goodbye without visiting them one last time with a very special guest, Michael. Yes, Scott Feinberg of The Hollywood Reporter returns for a final, final, a fallout, Feinberg fallout. No, wait, that sounds like it's... <laughs> Yeah, not good for him. So, but no, it's it's good for him. He had a week off. We're rested. I think we we all needed that rest, Mike. I know you you certainly did. Yeah, like you were yeah, batshit crazy I, I this year. Yeah. You were just out of. Uh, you guys don't even know how I have nuts to he talk was about Austin Butler for one more conversation. <laughs> <laughs> no, we we had we had a lot of fun with this conversation. Can't wait you wait for you guys to listen. Make sure you go search out Scott Feinberg on the Hollywood Reporter. You'll find his exclusive interview that he did with the two oscars uh producers you'll find his episode with janet yang that we will reference throughout this show from awards chatter his podcast and you'll also find the uh titanic oscars oral history that was in the print edition that we will reference towards the end make sure you read that that is a fast snappy read it was a labor of love by scott wait till you hear how that thing comes together a snappy read not so much a snappy production as scott tells (laughs) right my god what a what a Herculean effort there, yeah. Uh, the Feinberg fallout? Feinberg final final? We, we don't know, but we're, we're very much in his debt and thankful to Scott Feinberg of The Hollywood Reporter joining us one more time to put the final bow on the 95th Academy Awards. Guys, check it out, and we will see you on the other side. Joining us once again, Scott Feinberg, The Hollywood Reporter, uh, the awards expert there. Scott, thanks for uh, revisiting, like you said, the, the trauma of this award season one last time with I us here. I stay away, guys. I mean, I just... <laughs> I was really itching to talk about this again. No, but for you, for you, it's a pleasure. <laughs> we really do appreciate it. And we're going to start on hopefully a, a positive feeling about this award show. And I'm not going to start by asking you who's going to win Best Picture next year, even though it feels wrong to not start on that. We'll save that for next year's Oscar show. But yeah, let's start with some happy feelings. I think there's a general feeling of like happiness and satisfaction around how this year's Oscars came off. You were able to highlight some of that in your most recent article for THR. We'll dive more into the specifics of that in a minute but just as someone who's a fan of this someone who's been in the room for a lot of these award shows for the oscars specifically as a fan how did this show play to you scott feinberg the movie fan (laughs) well i i just thought it was a you know a feel good non uh spectacular but solid show i mean we basically had a bunch of winners that you could all whether you voted for them or not or would have voted for them or not like hard not to feel happy for you know Kihei Kwan or Brendan Fraser mm. or, or uh, Michelle Yeoh or or you know I know that some people are upset about Angela Bassett losing Jamie Lee Curtis or the whole Nepo like whatever it's I, I get that I respect that but mm. again if you're just thinking about who did win it's you know she everybody was very thrilled and grateful to be recognized who was the win, you know, everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, again, nice group of people winning. Uh, 
it just it, especially maybe it's just the contrast with with the prior ceremony, but yeah. it really felt to me that it was a very positive, upbeat, uh, nice show. Are there any moments that are going to be in the all time highlight reel? I don't know. I mean, it was it was fairly uh, bland. Bland sounds mean. It was it was just <laughs> it, did, it, it did what it had to do, and and that was fine. And everybody enjoyed it. And I think we kind of moved on you know, the next day, except for us who are still talking. About <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I got a follow up happy question here too, because this time last year, Scott, you were writing what you openly called a, and jokingly called a manifesto of 10, <laughs> 10 points on how to save the Oscars. This was post slap. This was, this was desperate times, man. And, and yeah, you, you, and not only did you put out a 10 point plan, but you had like, sub points and i mean i could outline that thing there was like four or five suggestions in between all your points so you talked to janet yang before the oscars on awards chatter and i i just re-listened to it on the way here a long car ride good god was that a happy and encouraging conversation your point three scott was they had to win back over some of their members and present all 23 categories on the live broadcast was part of that. You know, you talked about, you know, three or four other things, like I said, but Janet Yang seemed to be very receptive. It seemed like the relationship, you know, between press and new leadership of the Academy. I mean, it, 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 there's audible proof of it improving with your podcast there, but there's also seemingly Olive Branches, you know, reached out to the Academy members. Can you talk about how this new leadership is doing and what the perception is? Uh, yeah, I think fairly or not the pre pre previous, uh, leadership, you know, it, it was just going to be hard after so many years of, uh, Don Hudson as CEO and, a few, and, you know, even David Rubin, who was a very well liked guy, but coming off the Will Smith thing, it was just, I think sort of necessary for, uh, a turning of the page and somebody uh, to have a, a, a fresh shot at this and for for there to be both a new president and a new CEO at the same time, um, you know, it could have gone really badly or it could have been just treated as a, a fresh start. Let's for, let, let bygones be bygones and give these guys a, a benefit of the doubt to, to get things turned around a bit. And I feel like there has been a, a you know, kind of a element of trust and uh and benefit of the doubt for for these guys that um is different than we've had for for years it's been since we had a both a new a, a different president and ceo i think it's over a decade and so uh bill kramer and janet yang have have been thus far um you know very aware of the need to kind of just let people of all sorts, their members, their, uh, you know, certain, certain press, uh, just let them feel heard, give consideration to ideas that had maybe been dismissed in the past. And, and let's just, you know, we, everything's on the table because, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're in sort of a dire situation at the, at the Oscars, uh, at mm -hmm. least going into this show and, and to some degree still. And, um, so I have to say, just in terms of my own dealings with both of them, it's been very refreshing to have people who are uh, happy to happy to have conversations on or off the record, hear out ideas. We'll see what they, you know, some of the stuff they've implemented has already has been good. 
Uh, and I do think, as you heard in the Janet Yang episode, that there really is a, a willingness to revisit things that have just sort of been accepted without mm-hmm. much much questioning. Like this idea that, you know, sec- everybody's everybody in the first round can only vote to nominate in their own area of expertise. Mm-hmm. But yeah. then in the second round, we have visual effects people voting for screenplays and film editors voting for costume design, stuff that just doesn't make sense. And mm-hmm. she gets that, I think. And um, similarly, you know, the, the board, like, how can you get anything done with 54 people on right. a board? And so it sounds like she's they're, they're looking at one of the other ideas that I had in that manifesto and others have had, of course, as well, which is, you know, you got 17 branches with three people plus the three governors at large. Mm-hmm. Like, have the branches do a runoff so that you end up with, you know, two Rather than three governors representing each branch, it'll be Democratic, whatever. But you, you, it's just it's too unwieldy with fifty-four. And uh, so anyway, on and on. But I, I, I'm very encouraged. So maybe one of the changes too is how they're going to keep changing the show and how that will, how that will be reflected in the ratings because we know how near and dear the Academy still holds the ratings in the day of uh, watching and there was a lot made about the ratings for this year's show it went up twelve to thirteen percent but it still was I mean on more of a dour note the third lowest watched yeah. Oscars of all time is this a situation do you think as far as the Janet Yangs and, and uh, you know the Academy leadership goes of well any increase. Any increase is a win, or is they still are they still kind of trepidatious about what's going on? Because you were on here previously with us last week saying if those ratings don't go up, you know it's it's serious red flag time. Did they go up enough, or is this still like sub twenty million? It's not where we want to be. Uh, look, I'm sure they they would absolutely love for it to have cracked twenty or go higher, and I think there was a chance for that. It would have been maybe a little helpful if Tom Cruise showed up instead mm-hmm. of doing whatever he was doing and. <laughs> Uh, James Cameron to a degree. And, you know, there's, but the bottom line is that I think that, and, and we heard this a little from Janet, we heard this a little from Bill in the, in the week leading up to the Oscars, they kind of recognize that the world of, you know, the Titanic Oscars of 25 years ago, or even 10 years ago, the Oscars, those, those days are over. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they didn't, we didn't have, people in large numbers using the internet that we didn't have uh smartphones to distract people in in the way that we do today and a zillion channels and all of that so i think that they're they're they and i i suspect is the abc are realistic uh that doesn't mean that when they renegotiate or have a new contract or whatever that uh they're ever going to get paid the same amount as their current deal but i think that the value is still there. It's just different. And so, uh, you know, they experimented abroad this year with some stuff like streaming it on uh, Disney plus, I believe, and Hulu mm-hmm. plus and whatever. And I think we'll see more of that probably domestically as well. We're going to see uh, like they had, they were doing some experimental things this year with TikTok, where the speeches were immediately available there because they, they know like, you know, young people, are not doing anything for three and a half hours, let alone watching people give each other awards. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, but that doesn't mean that you're not on their radar or of interest. You just have to approach them differently. And so I think the metrics are going to be reevaluated so that of course, you know, Nielsen ratings are, are still going to be uh, of great interest, but it's not the only way to evaluate whether or not the show's, you know, breaking through. 
perhaps their biggest headache is the fallout, and it's a lingering fallout now with the Andrea Riseborough nomination and the fact that they have admitted that they're going to revisit some of the legislation that seems to be rather vague. And you've written that you've written the hell out of this uh, over several pieces. I'm wondering what. Maybe if you can shine some light about what you think will happen with the rule clarifications, with the invest. I mean, the investigation's done, obviously, but do you think campaigns are gonna drastically change based on the you know seizing this sort of loophole going forward, or do you think they'll write you know fill in those loopholes with some some actual legislation? I they're definitely gonna they're definitely gonna be more specific and and try to streamline their rules language because right now it's just you know pages of of kind of uh every possible scenario and and that's well intentioned but it's got to be more straightforward and understood so that somebody like the andrea riseborough team um you know there's no mistaking what the what the rules are and i think that in a way they may actually deregulate a little bit while just being <laughs> making it clear their their spirit the spirit of the rules needs to be understood which is that i think they want to encourage their members and everyone else to talk about all the movies that are out there and the movies that you like and that you're supporting that's fine what they may say is don't disclose publicly what you're voting for don't tell other people to vote for this but say, you know, in the same way that you see the ads are for your consideration or whatever, I think you can promote uh, and champion things and say what you like, because by the way, I don't think they can stop you from doing that anyway. That's freedom of speech. Yeah. And, uh, but what they will, I think, do is make it very clear that there should be no comparing or contrasting or diminishing other performances in the process of talking about what you do like. So both what Andrea Riseborough, some of her supporters did, uh, and what Michelle Yeoh did at the very end by, I'm sure with no ill intent, but, you know, bringing in Kate Blanchett into her own, um, postings and whatever, just, it's going to be, look, you're, we want you to talk about what you like. We don't want you to in any way bring in other people or films in order to make that point. And so I think that that's what it's going to end up being I'm, I'm fairly confident speaking of campaigns a24 and everything everywhere all at once they just had a dream season the a24 won won all the actor acting awards both at sag and at the oscars right and then we had everything everywhere all at once with some unprecedented success so you've been working this beat like nobody else for a long time you've had boots on the ground there i'm wondering what impressed you most about their strategies they came all the way out from march it's been a year long campaign that's kind of a rarity what 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 were you impressed with with a24 i i like the people there very much i know them for a long time and i i applaud them but i think they would be the first to acknowledge that it certainly was very helpful to have such likable talent who were willing to work as well. I mean, the, the, from, from Kihei Kwan and Michelle Yeoh with their personal narratives and even, mm. uh, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis and then Brendan Fraser and on and on and on. They just, you know, they, you have to have a, a, as a baseline, you have to have a strong movie 
uh, and they certainly had those. Mm-hmm. But you also have to have people who are willing to put in the work and beat the drum, especially when you had a movie that was out for almost a year with everything everywhere right. uh, that you had to keep alive. And, and so, uh, yeah, it's interesting because the A24 um, team itself is, is all about not taking, uh, you know, any kind of credit or, or being in the spotlight at all, which I think yeah. I don't really understand what they're, you know, it's nobody saying that, that that's, uh, that they they're hogging credit or whatever. If they do that, I think they deserve a, a victory lap. But I also think that it would be an opportunity for them to to affirm what I'm saying, which is that you don't get there. I mean, look, t- I think Top Gun Maverick could have gone further had Tom Cruise been more available yeah. to promote it. Then again, uh-huh. I guess there may have been a calculation there that on his part and his reps or whoever that. There's the risk of somebody kind of uh, baiting him into a problem if you bring up Scientology and whatever, and that's that may have been their calculation. But the point is, when he did, like in his case, when he did show up, it was great. People people showed him a lot of love. There was no uh, kind of um, awkwardness mm-hmm. that I saw at the Oscar nominees luncheon at the PGA Awards. He was he was a great ambassador for his movie, but he wasn't out there nearly enough. Yeah, in comparison to these, all the A24 people. And I mean, let's not forget, they also had uh, Paul Meskel, right? And they had uh, <laughs> other people. So they they do a great job of getting the movie positioned, but then I think they it, it, a huge a huge advantage is when you have talent that will run with it. A24 makes their history this year, and obviously everything everywhere all at once as a singular movie made its own kind of history. It wins the, uh, you know, the third movie ever to win its three acting categories, but unlike the yeah. previous two movies that did so, it also won Best Picture and it won Screenplay and it won Editing and it won Direct, you know, one of the yeah. huge Oscar movies of all time here. And yet, when we talk yeah. to, to journalists and editors on this show, t- almost to a person, they're all, we get the sense that, well, the voters don't really put that much you know, importance on the idea of voting for Oscars history. It doesn't really register with them as important if it registers at all. And you obviously talk to more people than anyone who are at least, you know, part of all these various branches that have Academy votes. Do you find that to be true? I mean, like, does the idea of, well, I'm going to vote for Kate Blanchett for her third award, possibly before I vote for Michelle Yeoh for her first, does that just not even register with any Academy voters? Is it just, we'll fill out the ballot and let the chips fall where they may, do you find? Or is it more often that there is at least some sense of history within the Academy, within these particular voters before they fill out their ballots? I think for most people, they just vote for what they like. And I don't know how much, I think they don't pay as close attention. Again, there are obviously exceptions, but most of them are not following it as closely as you guys or I am. It's just, uh, there's, there is probably an understanding that, Oh, okay. Michelle, yo, I don't recall. Uh, you know, it's not hard to realize there's never been an Asian best actress before her. I think that may or may not have factored in for some people, but you know, the idea that, um, you know, some of these other stats and things that we're talking about, like, I, I don't think people even knew that Mandy Walker would have been the first female right. best cinematographer. It's not, her name's not on the ballot, just the film is. And even if it was on the ballot, I, I mean, I think it probably would have, probably would have helped her, but I don't know if it would have been a difference. Make people, 
you know, the more you talk to the voters, the more you realize they all have their own different reasons for voting. I, I like this person. I didn't like this person. I've never, I, you know, this person insulted me once. I <laughs> liked the party they did for this. I, I <laughs> thought that movie sucked, so I couldn't vote for anyone associate. Like it's, it's a bunch of people with a bunch of different reasons for doing what they do, but rarely, if ever, do you hear, well, I, you know, I've got to vote for Moonlight because that would be the first uh, movie with a with an all black cast right. to win Best Picture. No, I mean if they voted for it, it's because they like the movie. That does inspire some hope. Uh, <laughs> it takes away some <laughs> yeah. of the cynicism we have about the Academy, I guess. But uh, and you you're kind of parlaying uh, into the next question here, where in your most recent article for a Hollywood Reporter, uh, 2023 Oscars analysis, you, you do make note and uh, the highlight of the global encapsulation of this year's awards show. There was diverse representation amongst the winners. You know, we have representatives from East Asia, Ireland, India, etc. I guess I have two parts to kind of the same question here. Yep. One is, do you feel we're past the tipping point now where the Academy's diversity initiative the past seven years or so is finally bearing fruit? And two, as kind of a follow-up to that, in your opinion, would such a best picture run for something like Everything Everywhere All at Once have been possible even just a decade ago with the Academy as we knew it then? It's a really interesting question. I can't say for sure. I, I would say it would have been unlikely for everything everywhere to have gone this far. I don't even know that that's because of the, of the uh, racial demographic changes to the Academy, as much as the fact that they've also gotten younger, right. a lot mm-hmm. of younger voters, a lot more international voters. So people who are just open to different sorts of movies, I, I think that that's as important in terms of that result. Um, you know, as anything, but I, I think the key thing is the international is, you know, with, with regard to that, look, we had for the first time in 90 plus years, you had with Parasite, a non-English language movie, win best picture. You probably came pretty close to that this year with all quiet on the Western front. You've got a zillion international uh, nominees this year. I think the majority of Oscars were won by people, not from the United States. I don't know if that's ever happened before. I'd have to check. I kind of doubt it. Um, so I think the, you know, while the, the racial demographics have changed, it's still not like a massive percentage of the Academy that are non-white, but that's, I think less. So I, I feel like the, the, any movement of the last few years has been more reflected perhaps in the, just the openness to kind of different sorts of genres. I mean, shape of water, all this stuff. I'm not sure these would have won. Uh, and, you know, years ago, certainly a sci-fi fantasy action movie, whatever the hell everything everywhere is <laughs> like that. I, I, I kind of doubt that it would have happened years ago, but not necessarily because, oh, we've added, you know, a bunch of non-white people. They're the only ones that would have voted for this. Right. I don't think you, clearly that's not what happened when it dominated as as much as it did. I think it's right. the, the openness to different kinds of movies that is probably the result of younger and more international people. Love that. Oh. Good, good, good. Thank God. This is much happier conversation than last two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, right. I, uh, I do want to harken back to that conversation, though, because we did worry about BAFTA and Oscar crossing over this year, and BAFTA did not do very well. Number one, I'm I'm wondering if they even care because we've we've talked about this in in the past as well. Like maybe precursor season should not 
go one-to-one with the Oscars. Maybe they should have different categories, more categories. So I'm wondering if they even care. Maybe they want to be their own thing or, like you said, be an outlier. Uh, But they have this long list to this jury chapter thing going on. Obviously, there's a disconnect, it seems, between their members, I guess, uh, I I would say, because they tended to to flock towards a couple of movies that you, you would guess were voted on by the larger British Academy, right? right. So, well, what, they, what do you? I don't, they, had, they they got picture director, actor, actress, supporting actor, and supporting actress all yeah. different from the Academy, right? It's unbelievable, and and I think that it's not unbelievable, I guess, in the sense that their selection process is just completely different. You can argue it's better, it's worse, or whatever, but it's certainly different. And I think that they maybe they don't care as much about being predictive or whatever as as they once did i i can't i kind of don't believe that they that they don't care at all because you know that's what made them of interest i mean when they were first created and for years when they moved their date so that it would be more relevant to the oscars and but the bottom line is that they're looking at different problems like they had uh i think what was it zero it was pretty much an entirely entirely white group of winners right i don't think they even had yeah uh, and so they're they're now concerned i know about um or one of their approaches to possibly rectifying that that they're looking at is maybe just focusing on exclusively british cinema because Mm -hmm. i don't know why that would make any difference i guess in terms of their if they do have uh you know, racial issues because they could do the same thing with that. But bottom line is I think they've clearly fallen out of the, you know, relevant, reliable precursor Mm -hmm. conversation. I'm also, you know, not so sure about most of the guilds. Yes. They, they, they were all uniformly behind everything everywhere. And that did predict it. But when you think about it, it, to me, it's like one of those stats, like, well, you don't, if you don't have a best director nomination, you can't win best picture. Well, that's sort of, gone out the window in the last few years because when you think about it it's mm. the direct it doesn't logically matter like you've got a small group of people picking the directing nominees and once in a while they're going to disagree with the vast majority of the rest of the academy and you end up with argo without ben affleck mm. or uh coda without sean Hader or whatever well to me the same thing is like what logic why why should we be putting such great faith in the predictability of of these guilds, which are predominantly American. They're mm-hmm. only a small percentage of those people are actually in the Academy. Uh, yeah. For years, it, it did tend to court tend to overlap, but I mean, the, aside from PGA, they're not using the same kind of ballot for picture. Um, you know, SAG for individual acting categories has, has been really good the last couple of years and for ensemble, but most there's there. It, I, is that a coincidence or is that predictive? I don't, I don't, see the the direct line when you know again the academy's gotten so much more international those new members are not represented in the guilds i just i would be wary of placing too much stock on the guilds moving forward too wow well that'll make predicting this uh, a whole lot i was gonna say so so all he's saying basically (laughs) mike for guys like us is that all we have anymore is awards chatter the podcast and that's it yeah we're gonna we're gonna plagiarize him So, no, it's, uh... <laughs> so I'm wondering what you think 
next year's precursor season is going to look like. We got SAG on Netflix. We got the HFPA kind of, they're without a home at the Golden Globes is going to wind up where? Do you have any guesses how it's going to shake out, how it's going to work next year? I don't really. I mean, I, I could see a world where the Golden Globes are nowhere or on the Roku channel, uh, you know, or something. But I, I don't know that there there's not a lot of great, you know, not a lot of goodwill there. So I'm not I'm not so sure that they're. Um, you know they'll they'll go forward even if they do it like they did the year that NBC told them to stay off the air. Like you know it's going to happen. It's just going to be a question of the degree to which anyone else buys into the thing. Uh, and maybe look they might they might have to really kind of eat a little humble pie and go back to uh, you know NBC or somebody at a ridiculously discounted rate compared to what it was in the past. And maybe they'll be back. But I it's not going to be. I, I don't see it being what it's been. Uh, we'll see. But for SAG, yeah, that's going to be a big thing for them to be on Netflix. We'll get a taste of of what it's like to have these award shows on streaming. And I don't know. Maybe they won't do commercials. Maybe like that's going to be that's going to be very interesting to see how what a streaming award show mm-hmm. looks like because that could be a preview of what you know what the Oscars will be not long from now mm-hmm. and. Um, but yeah, I, I clearly there's less interest in award shows on TV than there used to be, but there's also less interest in everything on TV than there used to be. So I'm not, I, I, I I guess we'll, you know, we'll see between critics choice, SAG, maybe golden globes. It might actually be a good thing for the Oscars to not have a million award shows on, Mm. you know, getting huge attention prior to the Oscars, because I think it sort of deflates interest in the Oscars when everybody thinks they already know who's going to win. Yeah. So one more question, if I may, before we get into the rapid fire, this is from my mother and (laughs) (laughs) she's very concerned here, sir. How how is Austin Butler doing after his loss? (laughs) And, and why didn't Elvis win a single solitary award? Can you, can you offer her any, uh, any comfort right now, Scott? <laughs> well, I was sad too. Tell her I'm with her. I was. I mean, I'm happy for Brennan Fraser, but I was sad for Austin. I thought he was great. I mm-hmm. I thought that uh, it was a very Academy kind of performance. But it did the fact that he didn't win sort of brought me back to a, a point that James Cameron raised in the oral history that we ran in the Oscar Week issue about Titanic, which was you know we're talking about why didn't Leo get nominated the year of of Titanic? Why didn't Kate win? And it's like he's correct that it's not it's more against the rule than the rule that young up and comers who are clearly going to have more chances in the future that that they, you know, they don't generally get it right out of the gate. And meanwhile, especially when you're up against somebody like Brendan Fraser, who's been around, hasn't been recognized, may not have as probably doesn't have as as likely uh, isn't as likely to have as many opportunities in the future as Austin Butler will. Uh, you know, to get back there, I guess there's a sort of sense that take care of the people who haven't won, you know, and may not get another shot. Um, so, I, look, I obviously I thought Austin would probably eke it out and he didn't. I thought there was more um, affection for Elvis, as did most people, you know, for Catherine Martin to, to win neither yeah. costume design nor production design was surprising. I, I, I did think that uh, costume 
would break the way it did with um, Ruth Carter winning again. But I, you know, I just, I guess I, it's hard to understand what happened with Elvis, but I, I think Austin's going to be okay. I think we'll be hearing a lot more from him. He was at, uh, I saw that he was at some of these parties seemed to be having a good time and, you know, good sport, not going home and sulking. So uh, tell your mom I think he's okay, but <laughs> and we'll we'll be seeing him back there soon. I'm pretty sure. Thank God. Thank you. All right, so rapid fire if if we made it end it. Uh, do you think Jimmy Kimmel and and the producing team? Do you think they come back for the ninety sixth? Yes. Nice. I would love that. And personally, just as a fan again of watching the show and being in the room, are you a fan of one host, multiple hosts, or no hosts? As we've seen all them the Academy try all different types the last I few years. Think- yeah, no, I, I think one host is the way to go. You need somebody who's in charge. You need some I, – I, I get the the no host. They think they save a few minutes. But actually what you're losing is a little bit of personality and stuff. I, I wish they would lose certain other things. Like, you know, I don't know why after we've already introduced all the Best Picture nominees, we then have to do, a, you know, a reel of them again. I right am with we you. <laughs> you know stuff like that you could tighten up i i don't really get it but um but i think one host is the way to go uh, i happen to agree with you there which win took you most by surprise last sunday i think brendan Fraser. i was very wow. happy for him i knew it was a possibility but i was fairly fairly confident it was breaking for austin uh just based on a number of things. And I mean, the fact that even think about this with, with even BAFTA, which is again, you know, always breaking in close races for a European person, right. Uh, for them, they, they broke for supporting actress for Carrie Condon for supporting mm-hmm. actor, Barry Keoghan. Um, just, you know, it, it, and they clearly loved all quiet and yet, when they had a chance to keep going, they loved Banshees. They didn't give it to Colin Farrell. They gave it to Austin Butler. Right. And that, to me, was pretty notable. Now, again, I'm not they, – they have their they have their reasons to not trust them for, for predictions. But that was marked. I thought – you know, I didn't expect that SAG necessarily was going to go four for four again. And yet – anyway, we can go on. I know this is rapid fire. That was probably the one that – I knew it was going to, whatever it was, was going to be, it was going to be close, but I, I guess I would say that was the most surprising. Mike and I will never accuse uh, you or anyone of being <laughs> long-winded, so don't worry with how we ask questions. So, <laughs> uh, Will a Marvel performance or movie ever win an acting category or best picture at the Oscars? Ever? Probably. Uh, in the, in the <laughs> near future, it's hard to imagine. Okay. Uh, uh, I don't want you to predict Best Picture next year, just as, again, a fan of movies. <laughs> what movie do you have yeah. your eye on as being a big awards player for next year? Well, even before the reactions out of South by Southwest last night, I was pretty excited for Air, which is mm. the Affleck Damon one about Michael mm. Jordan and his mom and with Viola Davis. And, um, and I'm seeing that, I believe, on tomorrow's Monday. Yeah, so nice. uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not that interested in seeing too many movies right now after i need right. detox but that one i'm <laughs> very excited to see and i'm not saying it's gonna pull it up everything everywhere all at once and and you know ride it out all the way till for a full year to the oscars maybe though i mean shows possible with everything everywhere but sure there's also the 
Scorsese one that's probably going to can. There's there's a whole bunch, but I haven't. Unlike some of my competitors, I'm not sitting <laughs> looking at them yet. I that that just I can't deal with that yet. <laughs> well, you did you definitely did not shirk the work when it came to that Titanic Oscars oral oral history. By my count, you interviewed 25 people for that thing. It was huge. How Scott? How does that come together? How long does a piece like that take you? Well, thanks for thanks for reading it. Uh, it was. Basically, I think from maybe just before New Year's till just before the Oscars. So, I don't know, <laughs> two, three months. Wow. And uh, we, I, I've, gotten in, I've gotten myself into this, uh, you know, trap slash pleasure of that became a thing that we do now for the Oscar Week issue in oral history. Almost every year we've done How Did Shakespeare in Love Beat Saving Private Ryan? We did mm-hmm. How Did Beauty and the Beast Become the First Animated? film to get nominated for best picture we did what the hell happened with moonlight la la land and then unless i'm forgetting one i think this was the fourth and um it's a it's a huge challenge because what you have to kind of do is imagine in advance if you need to tell this story and i have the broad idea of what the story is i'm sure there's always things i'm going to learn but what who do i need to have spoken with to tell that story and what do and then if you let's say you get them to talk to you what do you need what do you you know again hopefully they'll tell you more than you already believe they they have to say but you know Mm -hmm. you have to get them to address certain topics in order to make it a narrative when it all cuts together and so it's it's a it's a daunting (laughs) thing and it's and it's happening at you know the, the interviews and everything are happening during the busiest time of the year when there's other stuff going on so um i one of the things i've thought about talking to my editors about is figuring out like now what next year's one would be so that I can mm. kind of pace that throughout the year. Right. It does get a little crazy to be doing it all in, in the, you know, couple months right before the Oscars. But this one, I, I mean, we didn't have James Cameron until the last minute. And can you imagine what it would have been a very different piece without him? Yeah. So thank God he came right. through but it was one of those things where it's like sometimes people don't want to talk to you and, until they realize that they will look like, you know, a sorry sport <laughs> or whatever if everybody else has done it except them. So, and then in this case, for for various reasons that I won't necessarily get us all into, but you know, couldn't get Affleck and couldn't get Windlet. So I just luckily had when I previously interviewed them, talked to them about this very stuff. So I was able to, in those two instances, those were the only two instances of interviews for this where the quotes came from other prior interviews I'd done. Otherwise, they were all for this piece. Wow. Well, that's a Herculean effort. And you deserve some rest, sir. (laughs) I I picture, yeah, final question here. I picture you at a White Lotus type of resort (laughs) in the near future. How does Scott Feinberg unwind after another long Oscar season? You know, well, it's 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 different each year. This this year, I was very happy to just kind of have a slow week. It's been a week since the <laughs> show, and I've you know gotten my life back in order a little bit without going anywhere, without doing much. I, uh, so maybe there'll be a a trip soon, hopefully. But in the meantime, just nice to actually have a a kind of you go from 120 miles per hour to <laughs> two. And I always like, you know, when people ask this, I'm always like, look, it's, I'm not, I enjoy it when it's going on, but it is interesting that 
you know, the day after the Oscars, I could be dead at my desk and I don't know if anyone would notice for, <laughs> for a week. So um, it's very jarring, but, but not in a bad way necessarily. <laughs> well, enjoy the slow time, Scott. Uh, we cannot thank you enough for coming back. And... Thanks for everything. You guys do great coverage as always and keep it up. Uh, we'll we'll do our best. Thank so you much. very much. And thanks for your time, Scott. Right. Again. Take care. Bye. Bye. Uh, yeah, that's that's why Scott's the man, right? I, I feel like it was a happier conversation leaving the Oscars than it is going into the Oscars. And maybe, like we said in the, during the end of the interview there, that's just the product of how worn down and tired all of us are. <laughs> well, I think we're all bracing for it. How are they going to screw that's it up true. this year? That's true. And they didn't. They didn't, and so we're left. The looming so- specter of physical assault was still hanging over our we're, heads, yeah. Well- it didn't happen, right. and we're left with a much happier conversation. I am encouraged. I am encouraged by all the coverage, certainly Scott's, and uh, I hope you guys read it all on The Hollywood Reporter. And I'm, I'm encouraged by the season in general, Mike. Oh, my God. This is a weird space for us to be in because we've been covering this now for five years, and there's been some turbulent times. It was a bit <laughs> negative us. last year, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. It was, And we were wondering. Now, like, now that I step back and think about it. Yeah. We were wondering with like Brant gestures from the Big Lebowski. Yeah. There was it, you know, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Was it? Uh, was it good for business? Yeah. It's just this is this is a controversy. Is this good for us? No, I don't think it was. Like Scott said, it was and, kind of a run of the mill show this year. But because it yeah. was only run of the mill, everyone was like, "Yes, Same. all right, the Oscars." <laughs> <laughs> the Oscars is back. <laughs> so I think that does have a lot to do with our thanks, as always. And once again, a special treat for us to talk on the other side of this year's award show as well. But uh, cannot thank Scott Feinberg enough of The Hollywood Reporter. Be sure to check out his work. Mike, tell the good people where they can find Scott. Yeah, words of wisdom today. Follow him on Instagram, Scott un- underscore Feinberg. Make sure you listen to Awards Chatter. The Awards Chatter podcast is now closing in on 500 episodes. And Scott does a wonderful job covering the other awards out there. The Tonys will uh, premiere on June 11th. They'll have their nominations on May 2nd. Scott does a wonderful lead up. Last year he had some panel interviews with some casts and ensembles there and, and, and some roundtables. Uh, he also also covers the hell out of the Emmys and he's got a whole series of interviews of all your eventual Emmy nominees and Emmy winners there as well so the July 12th Emmy nominations are around the corner uh for us that uh and you're uh, not really for us Michael I mean I'm glad to be watching some TV myself I was gonna but, say around the know. corner <laughs> yeah we got some time but I mean Look, we're going to do the crazy thing that Scott referred to. We're going to actually look forward to next year. I don't know how we're going to do this, but I actually got excited. I got a second win the other night. I'm glad we had a brief respite, and I'm glad. I'm excited to bite into it because there really is a lot of cool movies coming out next year. So we're going to do the crazy thing, and uh, <laughs> we're going to go at the year in preview, which ultimately is a preview of the 96 Academy Awards. So a lot of people have written about it. I think we'll we'll take the dive and and look. I mean, I look. You could look look at it two ways, right? I mean, we're just gonna screw it. Well, let's make the predictions. Well, I mean, we when got. when you when you're burdened with the powers of foresight, like we are perpetually in MMO, and you are you have the answers and are 100 percent accurate with your year long predictions. <laughs> yeah, right. you, you owe well, it to look, the people look, to tell them in advance, even though it's a year or. Up. Or we cannot possibly do any work last year. <laughs> no, again, we were right. The Academy just was wrong. I'll stand by that. <laughs> that's, 
the other way to put it is we can't suck worse. Yes, we do have our year in preview series coming up that'll be capped off with our 100% accurate, way too early Oscars predictions. We say that tongue in cheek, of course. We just kind of set the table uh, to give you guys the highlights of what's what's ahead in the year to come in the movie, uh, the awards movie year to come, anyway, and the blockbuster movie year to come. What can you expect? Uh, what should you be looking forward to? What should you be looking at? Uh, we we're excited to kick that off uh, as well. I, that's is that next, Mike? Are we doing that very next? Yeah, man. That's 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 what's next. All right, I'll Later talk to this you this week. I'm three or four weeks once my battery's I already recharged. put together the doc. The Google document hey. has already started. Hey, I. I, I give you props, and I look forward to hearing what you have from that because I'm, I'm on vacation. <laughs> and in the interim, if you want to reach me, or as uh, more seriously, if you want to leave us any comments, questions, or concerns about anything we do here in the MMO Empire, as always, you can reach us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram, at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com, dot com, and on Reddit. We are available wherever you do hear podcasts. If you're listening to us on either the Apple Podcasts or Spotify app, if you appreciate what we do here, if you would not mind leaving us a five-star review, those help us out immensely thank you to everyone who has done so uh, thus far and as we say here as always when reality sucks you can come recap and put a bow on the 95th oscars with us and our friends our thanks once again to our dear friend scott feinberg of the hollywood reporter guys uh we i I was gonna say when reality sucks again but no we are mike mike and oscar trying to make (laughs) award season year round without the stuffiness we will see you all very soon see you